I'm a member of a Red Sox nation. It's a kind of a family. Wherever I roam, a Fenway home, that's where I long to be. I'm a member of a Red Sox nation. It's a kind of insanity. Yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for eternity. I fake a smile, though. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. I am Terry Cushman, uh, joined tonight by Jason Kelly and Andrew Dwan, kind of the reunion of the midweek crew. We won't, the three of us in combination won't be uh, on a given show because there's going to be a new alignment, but but we will... uh, Go forward with tonight's show. On the docket, we will talk about Dustin Pedroia's retirement uh, being announced this week. We're going to talk about the Nolan Arenado trade, and we will uh, wrap it up with the just some thoughts on the MLB season starting, you know, and what the um, you know the implications are about that, and and uh, some of the dominoes that that will fall because of that. So. How are you, gentlemen? Doing pretty well. I'm certainly doing better than uh, Rockies fans at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Not a good time to be out in Colorado right now. Oh, man. Well, 2020 was, you know, we got a taste of what it's like to be Rockies fans. Knowing we were going to watch other teams. (laughs) We, We certainly did. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Andrew would know better. But, I mean, Colorado seems like a fun atmosphere to watch a game. Uh, you know, it's a blast. No, none of the fans go there for the game, anyways. Uh, <laughs> it's for the alcohol. And you know, I think yeah, exactly. Um, if we had the weather that you guys are having back east right now, coupled with that Arenado trade, maybe people would be jumping off. Well, we don't have many bridges out here, doing something weird. But uh, it's about it's been sunny and seventy the last couple of days, so that's eased the blow for all like thirty six fans that the Rockies have. The Arenado situation kind of seemed like a hostage situation to me. You know, he's screaming to get out of there because he wants to win so bad, and he can't because you know there's a lot of you know obstacles, and uh, so he's a free man. Yeah, he is, and I feel I'm, that's the weird thing. Like the fans are happy for him. No one's even mad. They're just like they understand how pathetic the ownership and GM situation is out here, and they're they're just happy for him to have a chance at you know making the playoffs out in St. Louis. Uh, I, I really do feel bad for the the loyalist fans that've been going to the game since the nineties. It, it sucks to know that you're probably never going to be competitive. You're never going to sign a free agent and your hometown talent. Um, they're going to go away as soon as the contract's up. They pretty much said as much today with Trevor's story. They said they weren't going to trade him, but they're in so many words pretty much said this is his last year here. They'll trade him. It could come. Uh, I hope know, they do. They'd July. be dumb not to. <laughs> yeah, I know. They, they, <laughs> they just got to do it well. in doses. But we'll get more into that, uh, you know, in the middle segment. 
But uh, big news this week uh, for Red Sox fans didn't really come as a surprise. It was expected uh, before spring training that Dustin Pedroia would officially retire, uh, you know, from baseball, not having played. I think he played, what, maybe one or two games in 2019 before a setback. And I think he tried to make a comeback. In the uh, 2020 offseason, he was working out for one, but then had another setback as well. So, uh, so yeah, you know, and we're gonna we're gonna attack this segment from different sides of the spectrum. But um, I'll let you guys go first. You know, just kind of you know reflect on you know not only his retirement but his career and and whatnot. Uh, go ahead, Jason. Why don't, why don't you lead off? So I've always loved Pedroia as a player. I, you know, I thought that he was he was exactly what separated Red Sox from Yankees in my mind. Like the kind of players that we developed here and that we won with were so different than the Yankees. Like Pedroia versus Robinson Cano. Cano was all about flash and, you know, I'm going to look like I'm half asleep, but, you know, I'll look at my slick glove and I'm so cool and, you know, whatever. And Pedroia was like, you know, his, his, he would step on the field and his jersey was already dirty. Like, that's just the kind of guy that he wanted to be. That's the kind of player he wanted to be. And he was awesome to watch. It was really frustrating. I'll never forget his first month up in the majors. I hated him. I, I was like, man, this guy sucks. What are we doing? Like, send him down. Get rid of him. This guy can't hit. Like, I was so frustrated with him. And I'm so glad that they stuck with him because he figured it out. He ended up winning Rookie of the Year and the MVP that year. Although I will say, probably shouldn't have won the MVP. That was a little bit kind of a uh, an easygoing MVP year, but still, he earned it. He deserves it. Um, you know, multi-time Gold Glover. I always thought that he was the best defensive second baseman of his class of his generation. I don't care what anyone says about Cano. He was always better than Cano in the field. Cano was the better hitter. He had more power in, in his prime, and he was the overall better hitter. But Pedroia was such a better defender and such a harder worker and, and harder player than Cano ever was. Um, so I, I really enjoyed watching him play. The last couple of years have been really frustrating because he just couldn't get on the field. And we all saw this day coming. I think we all saw this coming like two years ago in 2018 when he just could not step on the field. He played, what, three games that year? Like... It was and, and even in those three games, he just looked at him and like he just couldn't move the same. He didn't look right. And we all just kind of knew it was like, all right, dude, you're done. It, it's over, you know. And unfortunately, Pedroia suffers from sort of the same thing that like Chris Sale does, where when he's hurt and he has to rehab, he must be a doctor's worst nightmare because the doctors will tell him, dude, you, you have to sit like you have to sit still and not do anything for three weeks. And someone like Pedroia or Chris Sale, someone with that mentality, they don't want to do that. He wants to push his way back as soon as he can. And I don't know, you know, I'm not speculating. I don't know if he did that. And, you know, that's what caused the setbacks. It might just be that his knee was just completely destroyed. But, you know, we all knew this was coming. Um, as a player, I, you know, in terms of his on the field, like the way he performed, I loved it. Some of the stuff in the clubhouse I did not love. Um, I thought that he did not look good after the Manny Machado incident where he was at the top of the dugout steps telling Manny Machado, no, 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 I'm not telling them to throw you. They're doing it. I thought that was a really low moment 
in his career. I know people will disagree, but he looked really bad there. Um, and keep in mind, this was after David Ortiz had retired. So the Red Sox were kind of searching for that next clubhouse leader. And everyone said, oh, it should be Dustin Pedroia. He's been here so long. You know, he's he's kind of the, the longstanding veteran. Now it should be him. And he had that. He had his first shot 2017 when that all happened. And he he failed. He did not look like a leader there. He looked like a guy who would rather just sort of, you know, pass the buck and, and not deal with it. Whereas Ortiz would have like stormed out to that field and grabbed Machado by the throat. Like he's, you know, it's, it's such a stark contrast, but so I didn't love the clubhouse stuff. I didn't love the way he picked on Bobby V when he was here. I know we all hated Bobby V. He was an awful manager, but it felt like Pedroia really took that to a new extreme and like just really wouldn't, you know, wouldn't let that guy have the time of day. So I won't forget that stuff, but at the end of the day, he's still going to go down as one of my favorite athletes that's played here. Um, I hope they retire his number. He's not a baseball Hall of Famer in my mind, but he should be a Red Sox Hall of Famer, Um, especially if, you know, I said it earlier this week, if you're going to put Wade Boggs' number up there, which is a joke and a sham, then Pedroia should be up there. So hopefully he gets that honor. I don't know what's next for him. I wouldn't mind seeing him hang around maybe do some minor league coaching. I think he'd be a great minor league coach or just some, something working with younger guys, I think would be great for him. Um, So hopefully they keep him around and they let him do that because I do think that his way of playing baseball, like that's, it's hard. Not everyone can do it. Not everyone can hold up doing it, but there's so few guys left that are like that. And hopefully he can pass some of that knowledge on. So hope, hope the best for him, you know, Loved him as a player, pissed me off a few times, but ultimately, really good guy, and uh, it's just a shame it had to end that way. Stole a little yeah, bit of my if, thunder, but yeah, go ahead, Andrew. <laughs> I was just going to say, in terms of what Jason just said um, about his toughness and his comeback attempts, let me put it this way. Dustin Pedroia is a hockey fan's favorite baseball player. Cause you know, you see these guys, like you look at the box score or the injury list. It's like, Oh, he's out with a broken nail. It's like, no, Pedroia's out here hobbling on one knee, knowing that if he like turns too quickly, that thing is just going to, his knee's going to blow up like an atom bomb. And yeah, he, every day he was rehabbing, he was trying to get back and you had to admire him for that. He was talking about, uh, playing second base, how he knew early on that every single play was potentially his last. It's the, arguably the most dangerous position in the game. Guys are sliding into your knees now. Nowadays, not so much, but when he was still, you know, early, you know, mid, uh, the late twenty before twenty tens and early twenty tens, people were still going in hard to second, and he was staying in every single time to take that flip and then throw it over to first. And he was putting his body on the line for the team. And he wasn't missing many games unless, you know, he was physically unable to walk. Uh so I admire him for it. I I love Pedroya. Some of the plays that he made, I kind of forgot about some. But then you were seeing these highlight clips, and I'm like, oh, my God, I forgot about that one where uh, I want to say it was uh, Devin Marrero overthrew first base down in Arlington in um, late in the game, and he dove, barehanded the ball off a ricochet, and in one motion while diving, 
threw out uh, whoever the hell it was in Texas um, on it, going back to first when he was caught rounding it. Like, you can't teach that. I don't care how many skills you have. Like a guy like Robbie Cano, you might look like a natural at it, but you can't teach that. That's amazing. It's like a guy that can go over the middle in football every single play, get a hit, get hit in the head, and get back up, get you a first down on the next play again. Um, I I do think that some of the, like, he should have walked away things are a little overblown. Um the guy was balancing work and family, which I think he deserves plenty of credit for. He said he couldn't even hang out with his kids, couldn't rebound for his kids. He coached his uh, son's Little League game for an hour and then had to ice his knee the rest of the day. He couldn't stand. He is fully dedicated to everything he does in life. And I don't think we're going to see a player like that come through the Red Sox system again. Um, if we do, it's a once in every 25 years kind of situation. So I was glad that we got to see it, that I got to see it. And I wish him the best. I do. I mean, I would love to see him hang around the organization, but I I hope he spends time with his family and just lives his life to the fullest. I, as many people know on social media, I'm the I'm the unofficial president of the Dustin Pedroia Haters Fan Club, you know, and mm. I was with <laughs> David Price as well. Uh, but I didn't always hate Dustin Pedroia. You go back to the 2007 playoffs. I did a poll where I asked everybody what their favorite World Series was, and 2007 came in last. And to me, that was a fun World Series because Pedroia had a big month. So did Ellsbury. It was like a breath of fresh air. And it was just a fun month. And Pedroia, I think, had a home run in one of the World Series games uh, that was in Colorado. Francis. Yeah. That was in Coors, wasn't it? Um, I think that one was Fenway. Oh, was it? Yeah, Fenway? it was. He got, to, he got to Coors. Security wouldn't let him in. And they're like, who are you? He's like, ask Jeff Francis what my fucking name is. I just ended their season. Like, that is badass. That is okay. the stuff of legends. So, you know, Pedroia, you know, big month. And, you know, I, I was a Pedroia fan at that point. And I, I'm not going to blame him for beer and chicken, but he was on that team, you know, and that, you know, that wasn't a good, you know, situation, you know, for the Red Sox that year. And then that gets Francona fired. And then the Bobby Valentine year, and Jason, you know, brought, brought up some of it, you know, it started off with the, with the Euclid comments from Bobby V Dustin Pedroia blows up, calls out Bobby V publicly. And, I can't really blame Pedroia for that. I, I don't think that that should have been the way they went about it, but that's how it went down. And, you know, so be it. And then the rest of the season played out. They were essentially a last place team. Um, there there was some bizarre incidents throughout the summer. There was like a team meeting where a text message got sent from Adrian Gonzalez's phone, but supposedly Kelly Shopik sent the text message and it was to, you know, to arrange a meeting with ownership and details of that got leaked out. And apparently 
Bobby V, they all wanted him fired, but then all the players came out a few days later and said, no, no, that's not what it was about. And uh, yeah, and then you had the weird situation where Bobby V was like face down on his desk, Pedroia, and someone took a selfie, you know. <laughs> Valentine. That's and, hilarious. Come on. Uh, uh, it is in a way, but you know, when when you want your team to start playing better, you know, those antics aren't aren't helping. And Dustin Pedroia didn't lose me in 2012, but I was like, I, I kind of started to sour on him a little bit, you know, and it, it was an ugly season for everyone involved. And the worst of everybody was on display that year. Fast forward to 2017. As Jason points out, and, and it, it, it is important, David Ortiz was retired at that point, and that whole season was a clown show. It was a clown show. And in the month of April, it started with the Machado incident. And let me just – let's just – have a rehash of Manny Machado here for a second. He flung his baseball bat, tried to fling it at a pitcher, didn't, uh, you know, succeed in that. It actually went down towards Donaldson, third base. And the reason that happened was Abad was throwing at Machado. And the reason he was throwing at Machado was because Machado was hitting Derek Norris in the back of the head with his backswing of his baseball bat. So that's why all that tomfoolery went down. And, you know, there's been other incidents with Machado. If you skip ahead after the Pedroia incident, you had him stepping on first baseman's foot in the World Series, Steve Pierce and Aguilar, or whoever the Brewers' first baseman was that series. So this, this is a bona fide punk, Manny Machado. And then... He spikes Pedroia. This was on Friday night in that series against Baltimore. He spikes Pedroia intentionally, making a dirty slide into second base. And on that night, everybody in Red Sox Nation, Red Sox Nation was on fire because Manny Machado was a punk and slid into Pedroia. Saturday goes on without incident, and then you had the Sunday afternoon game. Matt Barnes comes out of the bullpen. I thought Joe Kelly was going to be the guy. I thought Kelly, he he th- throws the hardest, harder than Kimbrell even. Um, I think Kelly that season was like 102 on the gun at times. And I thought I thought Kelly would be the guy to, to plunk Machado, but it, it ended up being Matt Barnes. The ball happened to fly up towards... You know, Machado's head, you know, whether that was intentional or not, you know, that's debatable. Um, and and then Pedroia had that infamous moment where he's talking to Manny, you know, they're, it's seen live. And, and he said to Manny, he goes, that wasn't me. And he points out to the bullpen and he goes, it was them. So after that incident, the, the frustrating part for me was – Everybody turned on Matt Barnes. Everybody turned on Matt Barnes because when you had the demographic of Red Sox fans calling Pedroia a rat, I was one of them, all all the people defending Pedroia were throwing Matt Barnes under the bus when we were all we were all united in hating Manny Machado only 48 hours earlier. And and then do you think do you think any of those people 
you know, de, you know, ridiculing Matt Barnes? Were they ridiculing Joe Kelly a handful of months ago in the Cray incident? <laughs> not, not a lot of them. I can tell you that much. You know, Joe Kelly. Everybody loves Joe Kelly. Joe Kelly's awesome. And yeah, so, so that I didn't like how that went down, and that's when Pedroia lost me. And then when you skip forward to the Eckersley incident, that incident came in two waves. The first wave, it was all David Price. Everybody was getting on David Price, and it was a national story. And you know, it, it was talked about for a few days, and then it kind of went away for about three weeks. And then I don't know, around that was close to Fourth of July weekend, and then. Final week of the month, more details got leaked, and I think it was a Shaughnessy report, if I'm not mistaken, that players on the plane, including Dustin Pedroia, were egging on David Price against Dennis Eckersley, and then the whole thing flared up again. And it was a big story for a few days. That led to, it wasn't quite a press conference, but Pedroia, Price, had to meet with the media, and the media was asking Pedroia if if he was the leader of the team, awkwardly. And Pedroia, it was just an awkward exchange. And then Pedroia finally said, yeah, yeah, I'm right here. I'm the leader of the team. Nobody apologized to, to Dennis Eckersley. It, it was just, it was an ugly incident. And that, that whole season, you know, was a clown show. And Lou Merloni had the quote of the year. He said, if this team isn't tough enough to take criticism from Dennis Eckersley, they're not tough enough to win in October. And they won one game against the Astros. The Astros were cheating. Maybe, maybe that, you know, that was the trash can season. So, but it, it, it wasn't pretty. And then the final game of, of that playoffs, which ended up being game four, Pedroia has a meltdown. In his first at-bat, just completely loses it on the umpire. Farrell's job, as far as Farrell knew, was on the line. I think he was going to get fired no matter what. But Farrell comes out to save his player and gets ejected. And the, the, the point I'm making with all of this here is if things weren't going well with the Red Sox and things were going in the wrong direction, Dustin Pedroia wasn't going to be the guy to write the ship because he never did. It, it never but it never got righted. <laughs> how do we know behind the scenes he didn't put out fires? Stuff that we that didn't pop up. And he, in my opinion, him sticking up for Price, who's gotten shit on by the media and the fans, that kind of shows some leadership right there, you know, hopping in to defend your teammate. And I admit I'm not the biggest Price fan. I'm not the personal. I just didn't want to spend the money when they did uh, on him. But I, I think that shows that he's got his back. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. And especially the Bobby V stuff. I think we're going to – I don't want to get too sidetracked, but we could see something – Similar in Chicago this year with La Russa because Bobby V was not wanted by the players. Um, it was a pure ownership hire uh, from the for the managerial spot. And at that point, with the egos that were in that locker room, Adrian Gonzalez at the top of him. I I think he was the ringleader. I if you guys remember his comment after they had the party on or 
probably not party meeting on John Henry's yacht where they got Beats headphones. Uh, he had that famous comment. He's like, well, we can't just eat chicken every night or something like that. We have to eat steak. And Adrian Gonzalez was the leading force behind all, all that turmoil. I don't put that on Pedroia. If he took a picture, I mean, this is pre-social media day, uh, media days. It's innocent enough. It just made its right way around the team. It's not like you put it on Instagram, put it on Twitter, Facebook. It was highly publicized, uh, just, though. You know, it, it was. But I mean, have we seen the picture? No, there, there's a there's audio of Pedroia talking about it that that you can listen to as well. But I'm I just, just don't. I, I think those are pretty innocent things. Well, so here's my thing. I don't mind him sticking up for teammates. I, I agree. That's what a good clubhouse leader, locker room leader does, even if the player might be in the wrong, right? Because you can't throw your teammates under the bus, even though he had no problem doing that a couple of years later in 2017. But it's the way that he stuck up for the players in during the Bobby V year and the way he stuck up for David Price, like by heckling Eckersley on the plane. That's not how you stick up for your teammate. If anything, he should have been trying to diffuse that whole situation. He shouldn't have been egging price on he should have been trying to shut it down and be like hey look you know let's let's not do this here let's not make a scene on the team plane if anything he should have addressed it privately or even if you you come out public with hey look i i think you guys are too hard on david he's one of our best pitchers like i would have been fine with that but when the report came out that he was one of the players chastising eckersley as he's trying to get to the back of the plane on the flight like that's childish that's not what a leader does that's that's something that like a rookie does. That's something Manny Machado would do. That's not something a clubhouse leader should do. So I had a major problem with that too. Like it's one thing to consider yourself a locker room leader. It's another thing to like act like that. And then when the media press is on, you go, Oh yeah, well, you know, I'm the leader of this, this locker room. Yeah. It's me. It's like, well, no, it's not because if you were the leader, you would have diffused that situation. You wouldn't have made it worse. And that's exactly what he did. It was handled so, in the worst possible way. It, it really yeah, was. And I think it, it really I, yeah, just... I, no, I do agree. That whole situation was a mess on yeah. all parties. I, it wasn't a situation that needed to happen to begin with. So no. I don't know. I think that was just, it was just messy and there was no good ending to the, there was never going to be a good ending to that. Yeah, and that... And look, maybe part of it's on us and the, the fans in the media. Maybe it's partially our fault for, Ortiz retired, and we just looked to the next longest tenured veteran in Pedroia and said, okay, you have to be the leader now, which is a little bit unfair because, maybe, you know, I don't think Pedroia has that mentality. He's not a – and that's not a that's not a knock on him. It's not for everybody. Like, I don't think Sander Bogarts has that mentality. I don't think Bogarts wants to be considered the leader of the clubhouse. I think he wants to go out there, play hard, play his best, you know, help the team win, and that's that. He doesn't want to be – you know, the guy that the media rushes to at the end of the game that crowds around his locker and asks him all the asinine questions that they're going to come up with. I think Pedroia was the same way. I think Pedroia just wanted to go out, play hard, help the team win, and that's that, and keep his mouth shut. And unfortunately, he got labeled as the next leader because there was a void there, and he was a veteran, and they just picked him. But So maybe it's partially our fault, but yeah, he did not handle that situation well at all. I think that's an amazing point. There are, I mean, there's definitely different kinds of leaders when it comes to sports and clubhouses. You got the one that is going to stand in front of the um, the press scrum after the game. 
Um, and then you have the one behind the scenes where, you know, the players will go to you. And I think Pedroia is the latter there. Even going back to his college days, when he gave up his scholarship to another player, I mean, how many people are going to do that? That's amazing. He doesn't want to be front and center. He wants to be behind the scenes. And I think we kind of all agree on that, where we say we want to see him around the organization, helping out players, helping with their development. So I don't don't think he wants to be the front and center leader. I do think it's a little unfair. I don't think you need that in baseball, quite frankly, because we're – I mean, what – Varitek was the captain. I, it, to me, it doesn't really strike me as a sport where you need to have a de facto captain. Um, you have so many games each season, 162 games. You don't need your like PR guy <laughs> essentially taking the reins every single night. I think you can be spread out um, into a few different roles. Well, I think in the the Eckersley incident, they the media was just trying to assign accountability. And and th- that's just how it how it shook out and and you know I mean that incident mostly is on David Price anyway he he instigated it you know he waited until Dennis Eckersley got onto a charter plane an environment that he could not escape from an envi- an environment that he was going to be outnumbered thirty to one or however many people were on that plane and and, and it went down the way that it did but I just. And the whole 2017 season, I'm not a John Farrell guy. I knew the whole season, the whole season, it was going to end just the way 2016 did. If we get in the playoffs, Farrell's going to mess it up. And, and Farrell himself didn't didn't do anybody any favors by promoting, uh, you know, a fun, you know, you know, happy-go-lucky environment himself. So, um, but I'm I'm just not a Pedroia guy. It did. It, did he play extremely hard, like you guys pointed out? Yeah, absolutely. I I can't I can't argue that. And Mariano Rivera said at some point before he even retired, he said, "If I had to pick a second baseman on my team, I I would pick Pedroia over over Cano because he you know the better defense. What pitcher doesn't want Pedroia behind them? You know, so I, I'm not gonna." I'm not going to dispute that, and and I'll even take it a step further. You know, Bogarts was a dumpster fire defensively, and and he worked out with Pedroia. You know, coming into the 2015 season, made a lot of improvements, and I, I think Pedroia's worked with Devers as well, and, and made some improvements there. So I'll give Pedroia credit for those things, but I'm a huge character guy. Uh, I'm a huge character guy, and 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 to me. You know, Pedroia wasn't wasn't a good leader, and had multiple controversies, and 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 he lost me. He eventually lost me, and you know, and that's the way it goes. And I mean, for, I hated Price. You know, I'm a character guy. I, I didn't like him. I didn't like Adrian Gonzalez. Like you guys said, he was toxic. The Dodgers wanted him nowhere near the the, the clubhouse in that 2017 <laughs> run, and then it, it yeah, was that awkward. Was it was awkward that he wasn't there and the media was pointing it out. So he showed up for a few games and then was asked to leave. So <laughs> even the Dodgers hated him. And, you know, John Lackey, who liked John Lackey before 2013? Basically nobody. No one. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, that was a mess. The one guy who was a dick that I, I just couldn't help but like, and, and I, I'll admit right now, uh, I know I'm in the minority there, but I was a big Josh Beckett fan. You know, because 
Unlike oh, unlike David Come Price, <laughs> unlike David Price, Beckett backed it up in big games. You know, he was a stud. Did he? But he also took seasons off. And he, I mean, he was the ringleader behind the chicken and beer. And I think he's the one that poisoned John Lester, essentially, that year. Yeah. I mean, Lester was always on the straight and narrow. And then you have him straying from the pack. Because Beckett's supposed to be the leader of that staff and you have him screwing around with Popeyes or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. And that was, you know, he, I have no doubt whatsoever. He was a huge part of that. The biggest part of that. But, oh. um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know why. I mean, I just, I used to love it when Be- Beckett would get on the umpires, you know, he'd be screaming, I had to get four outs that inning, you know, because of a botched call. And, I don't like I said I know I know I'm in the minority but he he was a big game pitcher though and he pitched in 2008 he pitched game 6 against the Rays got the Red Sox into game 7 of course we lost that one but um but yeah so like I said it, Josh Beckett's probably the only exception for me of guys that you know had a lot of issues uh, you know with character but typically, I'm not going to like those guys. So uh, another one I hated. I'm probably in the minority with this. I hated Kevin Euclid. The guy was the biggest crybaby I've ever seen. He would just cry all the way back to the dugout, you know, on a strikeout or whatever. I just I hated that guy. But anyway, no, I mean Euclid's messing up uh, Manny after Manny shoved down the like 80 year old clubhouse attendant. I mean. Uke will always have a special spot in my heart. He, I, I love Kevin Euclid. He lost a fight to Rick Porcello, though, when he charged the mound. He got Cy beat Young by Rick, Rick Porcello. Rick Porcello. Yeah. 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 20 <laughs> other teams did, too. I don't know what the hell happened that year. I, I think Sandy Leone should get that Cy Young because that was when it all started to turn around. But anyway, so that's where we stand on Pedroia. And, you know... I represented the the haters, which is like, according to my poll earlier, like 14% of us or whatever it was. Uh, I think it's more, though. I think it's more than that. Not not a lot no, more. So just, just real, oh, just real quick, because this might be the one part of this segment where we all unanimously agree. Okay. He's not a Hall of Famer, right? <laughs> he is not. He is not. Andrew puts okay. us a better chance I than... Think, no, I... I think he's going to stick around in the belt. He's not going to be a one-and-done guy. I think he's going to stay on all five years. Um, I think he's going to get the enough votes every single year to stay on there, to get the debate. Uh, um, you know, when he did his – he had a dominant 10-year stretch. So I actually have the stats up right here. During his 10-year stretch from 2007 to 2016, his 50.64 ranked sixth in the majors van Cano steroids. Beltre should have been in Boston. Pujols questions there. Uh, Miguel Cabrera and Kershaw um, finished the top ten MVP voting uh, three different times. Obviously, winning once. So even if he doesn't wi- uh, make the Hall of Fame, which I don't think he will, uh, on the voters, he could definitely be a veteran veteran committee guy down the road uh, when the vote comes down to his peers because. Like you said earlier about Rivera, who who would I pick? I think he's got the reputation with uh, his competitors, and I think he's gained that respect from those guys around the league. And they they don't care about the longevity. They don't care about the well. You ended with X amount of hits. They care about what you did when you got in between the chalk. 
bad postseason he better, numbers, though. <laughs> he, uh, he better hope that you better hope he's on the ballot long enough for either Shaughnessy to get his uh, membership revoked or for Shaughnessy to just, you know, <laughs> leave us because Shaughnessy will never vote for Bedroya. I'll tell you that right now. No, Shaughnessy, Shaughnessy's he's gonna... such a he's such a weird voter anyway. He only voted for Jeff Kent this year and nobody else. Oh, there you go. He might vote for which, Jeff which was just <laughs> so bizarre. But yeah, Shaughnessy will never vote for Bedroya. <laughs> yeah, he only voted for Jeter last year as well. Yeah, this this was you know a weak year though. I mean, you, you had the steroid guys, so fine if you want to vote for them, um, you know. And you had Schilling, who got I think seventy percent roughly, um, but no no real you know new you know people that that were gonna get there. Uh, but yeah, yeah anyway, really quick on that. Next year is gonna be a bloodbath. I can't wait to see what happens. You have uh, you, what Schilling. Clemens and Bonds on their last year, and oh, then you have Pedro, uh, Pedroia, um, does David Ortiz and A Rod in their first year. They, oh, I thought Bonds I and Clemens were on ten. Game on the ballot. Oh, are they? I oh, think so. Yeah, uh, only the Veterans Committee can get them in now. Schilling's got one more, but who knows how it plays out because yeah. he doesn't want to be on the ballot, and you know, I, he's not going to get in no matter what. So. Uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll see. Uh, I wonder, can Pedroia get in early? No, well, retroactive to 2020, so I, I don't know how that works. Last year might be the first year. No, I think it would be this year would be his first season as a retiree. Oh, does it work that way? Okay. He, I think so. He yeah. didn't have a game the in 2020. The but he was on the active yeah. roster, so he got released oh. prior to yeah. Okay, yeah, that's a problem. That, that yeah. does make sense. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, um, all right, we'll just move on. Uh, another big story this week: Nolan Arenado uh, finally uh, gets his wish and and uh, leaves the Colorado organization. He will go to the St. Louis Cardinals, who. Yeah, they're competitive from time to time, and I, I don't think their front office is incompetent. But uh, Andrew, why don't we lead off with you on this one? Um, you know, what were your thoughts on the trade, and and is St. Louis going to get a ring with Arenado? Uh, St. Louis has got as good a shot as anyone at this point. I mean, two studs on the corners of those infields. Uh, I'm happy for him. I've gone to a ton of games. He did one or five things each game in the field that just make you say, holy crap. And I think we saw that. Uh, did the, the Red Sox played them two years ago at Fenway, and he made just play after play after play in the infield that it just wowed you. And those guys, they don't come around too often. He might – you could make an argument. He's the greatest – fielding third baseman of all time. Um, you got your Schmitz and guys like that, but Nolan Arenado has won the gold glove every single year. He's been in the league. He wins the platinum glove every single year. And it's just unfair to the fans out here. They come, they watch him, they buy his jerseys. And then ownership, they don't spend on players. They knock down part of right field and put in a party deck 
because it can appeal to the 22 to 32 year olds that go there. Don't even watch the game. Sit at the fire pits, get absolutely hammered, rip their vapes the entire game. And meanwhile, you have some generational stars. I mean, you have Arenado, Trevor Story's great. Um, I'm sure there's other guys that I can't even think of off the top of my head that have come through here and just had their careers wasted. And yeah, see the report, he gets traded. Okay, wow, oh, St. Louis also sent them $50 million. Oh, the Rockies sent $50 million along with his first ballot Hall of Fame third baseman? All right, this is – we would – any other sports town would burn the stadium to the ground if you literally paid for the entirety of the first year's salary for that player that just left your team. If we paid Mookie Betts his $27 million for to play for the Dodgers this past year, I probably wouldn't be a Red Sox fan anymore. <laughs> I would have I hung it up. I literally never – I'd just been like, you know what? I'll go out and enjoy my summer nights from now on. Like I don't have to spend four hours watching a game. I It's such a disservice what the ownership has done – to the fans out there. So I'm embarrassed for them. Um, I wish Arenado the best. I hope we face him in the World Series. Jason? I, uh, I, I know it's not like a thing, but I, I want Manfred to step in and seize control of the Colorado Rockies and, and give that ownership to somebody else because, I mean, this alone is egregious enough to – to warrant it. I, I don't understand. I, I literally don't understand any part of this. And like the, the prospects that the Rockies got back are not all that glamorous. They, they didn't get a, a big major prize in, in this trade. They just kind of got kind of quite frankly, a bunch of Jags that hey they might work out, but they probably won't. So that's not great. Um, if you're a Rockies fan, you've got to be so depressed right now because it's not just that your best player got traded. Okay. Like to them, I would say, well, welcome to the life of a Red Sox fan. Like this is what we've had to go through, but at least the Red Sox now, like you're starting to see, okay, well, there's a little bit of a plan. They, they can survive without Mookie. They can compete. They can go to a wild card. They, they've got a, a core in place. That's going to be here for a couple of years. What is the Rockies core going to become? Trevor story's gone. Like Trevor story's out of there. He's either getting traded at the deadline or he's walking. So he's gone. He's one of the best shortstops in baseball. Like the Rockies had an amazing window with Arenado, Story, David Dahl. I know Dahl got hurt a lot, but he was supposed to be a part of that core. Charlie Blackman, who nobody expected to be any good, turned into a megastar out there. Like they even picked up Daniel Murphy for free agency. And and I know Murphy kind of slumped his last couple of years, but his first year in Colorado, he was actually pretty good. Like they had the pieces in place. They never had the pitching. And I don't think Colorado will ever have the pitching, which is going to be a massive problem there for pretty much their entire existence. I don't care how many humidifiers or whatever the crap you put in there, the ball's going to fly out of that stadium, no matter who pitches there and free agent pitchers don't want to go there because of it. So that's going to be a problem there forever. But offensively they had such a great window they had so many talented young players coming through there and arenado was was the leader and like they just blew it all out they just were like well they they didn't come close i mean they really didn't even come close it's unbelievable like arenado's the best third baseman in baseball 
and they couldn't do squat with him. Trevor Story is a top five, maybe even top three shortstop, and they didn't do jack. And they're going to lose them both. Hopefully for Story, they're able to at least trade him and get something good in return because if Trevor Story just walks or if they do another trade like this where they get nothing in return, forget about it. The Rockies are going to be in baseball hell, like baseball purgatory forever because they're always going to have pitchers with ERAs in the high fours, mid fives. They're going to have, you know, no offense anymore because Blackman doesn't have many years left. They've already, Daniel Murphy's already retired. He's done. Like, you know, the story will be gone. Arenado will be gone. David Dahl is gone. Who's left? Who do they got? I mean, I, you know, I'm sure they have some, some young players in their farm system, but like, do you have the next Nolan Arenado sitting around? <laughs> do, you have, nope. like, do you have the next Trevor story just hanging out down there, ready to make an impact? Like it's so bad. It, they, they, they got completely fleeced on the trade and their window not only got closed, but it got blown up. Like it's just gone. They have nothing now. They've completely gone back to square one and they're just going to, you know, Trevor story will keep them interesting because people will still want to watch him. And, you know, Charlie Blackman's still there, but once those two are gone, that franchise isn't going to mean anything, not just the team itself, but the entire franchise as a whole, they've never won. They've they've only been to the World Series once, and they got their asses handed to them in a high hat by us. Um, and then they had this incredible window, and they did nothing. They didn't even come close. It's not like you can say, well, if they get the talent again, they'll go back to the NLCS. They never made it there with some of the best players in the league, some of the best players to ever play the game. Aaron is going to be a Hall of Famer. Assuming he stays healthy and keeps going on his track, he's a Hall of Famer. And they just let him go. And... And they got nothing out of it. They got no championships, no clout out of it, nothing. Like, that franchise is kind of a joke now. It's it's just a joke. Like, honestly, people love to dump on the Rays because the Rays don't get fans. And, oh, nobody shows up to the Trop because it's a – and the Trop is. It's a toilet bowl of a stadium. But you know what? The Rockies are more of a joke than the Rays. The Rays have at least been to two World Series. And the Rays are competitive every year. I mean, Terry, you said it in the chat earlier. They're going to win 83 games this year. I don't know how. I don't know you know, how they're going to make it happen. But you can always pencil in the Rays for being competitive. The Rockies, forget about it. They're not going to be competitive going forward. Their, their five to ten year like plan looks like a joke right now. It looks awful. So if I'm a Rockies fan, like I'm looking for a new team. I'm I'm looking to to change unis and and change loyalties because this is this is embarrassing. It's going to be a painful decade for them for sure. The the thing that stands out to me, I mean, everybody knows how how bad Arenado wants to win. You know, he's the guy firing up his team in the dugouts during the games and you know, Andrew touched on some of the stats. You know, coming into 2020, Arenado had five or six consecutive top 10 appearances as an MVP candidate. And I think all but one of those were actually top five and multiple golden glovers. He's just the epitome of a five tool guy, you know, one of the greatest players of this generation. And I think his legacy might not be quite as great because he played in Colorado where nobody was really watching him. And, and like Jason said, you know, weren't really in the playoffs, 
Um, so, you know, hopefully for his sake in, in St. Louis, they will have some playoff runs. That's not looking like a good division this year. Uh, you know, I, I can't see the Brewers. The Cubs probably won't do anything. Reds, Pirates. That should be St. Louis's division to win. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep, absolutely. Yep. And so, you know, you know, I'm 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 happy he's going to go there and it's it's, you know, a storied franchise. So, that's good for him. The one real tragedy about everything for for Arenado was he was the anti-Mookie Betts when it came to signing an extension. Not only was he willing to do it early, he took a team-friendly deal, 8 years, 255 million. And he he that's wanted, a good chunk of change. It, it is, but you know, it's not the automatic ten year deal that you know yeah. so many of these guys are looking for. Um, you know, so and he wanted to stay in Colorado, and and you know, ownership out there did not live up to their end of the bargain. They didn't put a team around him, and it just collapsed. So, you know, it sucks for I him. Totally, oh, sorry. I was going to say, I totally forgot. They had DJ LeMayhew at second. Mm-hmm. You had LeMayhew, Story, Arenado. Are you kidding? They arguably had one of the best infields in the game uh, with, with <sighs> the, just with those three. And nothing. <laughs> yeah. Zip. <laughs> and no problem to show for it. Like, it's like, all right, well, at least I got Verdugo. No, they didn't get him. Like, at least we got so-and-so in this trade. Yeah, no, they didn't get him. Like, sell the team, move on. Like, I, you know, I don't say this much, but I will lose so much respect for Trevor Story if he signs an extension with the Rockies. Because oh. he should be committed no. if he signs like, a contract extension with them. Like, how, how sadistic of a person would you have to be to put yourself through eight years of that, winning yeah. forty-five games a year? No, he's Trevor Story's got to go. He, he, he don't go to the Yankees, but just go somewhere because yeah, he deserves so much better. Yeah, I love uh, the the hashtag Story Time. You know, and he you know has a <laughs> epic highlight reel. I think that's one of that that's one of the coolest last names in Major League Baseball. I feel like. But with with Arenado, like just from like a Colorado standpoint, it was probably a big mistake for Colorado to not trade him last offseason before the crunch when, you know, the Red Sox got a decent haul. I'm not saying Colorado would have got one like that, but they certainly would have got a better package than what they got this year with the COVID, you know, ramifications, you know, probably hurting it as well. Yeah, you're absolutely right with that. Um, he would have had two years guaranteed before his opt-outs, and I'm sure he could have worked something out with them, uh, with it, whatever team he would have went to. Sure, if you threw in uh, an extra year at X amount of money, he would have wiped those out, those opt-outs out. So, yeah, you're you're right on point right there. You should have traded him. Why wouldn't you? Uh, it doesn't make any sense. Where were they going to go? They had no pitching. Their pitching was trash. They had zero, zero hopes of winning anything. I don't, it makes, it makes no, ah, I can't even think right now. It makes zero sense why they went into this just knowing they're going to lose an asset. Like, I'm actually worked up about this. I'm not even a Rockies fan. Just from common sense, it doesn't make any 
reasonably sane point to let your superstar walk for five prospects that might never see the majors. We, I, I literally would never be a fan of that team again. The, the Rockies are a masterclass of asset mismanagement because wow. they, they should have kept LeMahieu, quite frankly. Like, they really should have. They should have re-signed him. They let him walk. He becomes a megastar in New York. Um, they should have traded Arenado earlier than they did. Instead, they let that whole problem fester. They let him get even angrier to the point where he forced his way out, and they got a worse trade because of it. Because the whole league knew he doesn't want to be there. So we're not going to give you our number one prospect for him. We're not going to give you even number two or number three. We're just going to give you a handful of guys. And you have to take the trade because he's not going to play. You have to get rid of him. So they mismanaged that. They're going to mismanage Trevor's story, too. They should trade him at the deadline. And you know what? They won't. They won't. You'll hear stories coming out in July. being like, oh, well, the Rockies are, you know, they've had progressive talks with Trevor Story's agent. And, you know, they believe that they can make, they can come to a deal and then they'll lose him in the, in the off season too. And he'll walk for nothing. And it'll just be another mismanaged asset. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And uh, with, with LeMahieu, the, the funny thing, not to get too off track, but I remember Yankees fans being mad that they ended up with him over Machado. They all wanted Machado. And, <laughs> I was like, and some of them were thinking he was a platoon guy, and I'm like, guys, he he won a batting title in 2016. <laughs> he's he's gonna be more than good, you know. I didn't think he was gonna be quite that good, you know. I'm no, but I'm not surprised either. Uh, but you know, definitely a, a sneaky good move on on Cashman, who I I love to dump on, but um, but yeah, and. And so that kind of leads me to my final question on this. Uh, you know, speaking of infielders, what would you rather have? Would you rather make an Arenado deal? And we have the benefit of hindsight now, knowing it wasn't going to be a good deal. But would you rather t- trade for an Arenado guy or go for a Lindor type guy? And I know their positions are different, but they are on that side of the infield. So which would be the better scenario? I, I'd go I for personally, Arenado. Yeah, I personally would go for Arenado. Um, I feel like having a guy like that at third base. I also, I don't know, like I know Lindor's been healthy for most of his career, but I look at Arenado and I think that guy's going to be durable. He's he's a big guy. He's really, you know, really strong, really physically fit. Lindor to me, like he's he's a smaller guy. You know, I look at Lindor and I see the same problem I saw with Buki Betts where it's like, okay, how good are you going to be when you get to 33, 34? Are you going to start to decline and get more banged up because you're not a big guy? Arenado, to me, he can have like an Adrian Beltre career where he can he can perform and he can be, you know, especially a third base. Third base is not a – it's not as physically taxing as shortstop or second base. So I look at him and I think, yeah, he can be just as good as he is now in his age 36, 37 seasons, whereas I think Lindor by then, he's going to be a diminished asset. So I would much rather have Arenado. And yeah, it's more cost-controlled, too. Like, you know what the cost is. That's what what yeah. I like. But go ahead, Andrew. Yeah, that un- that unknown is definitely gone there. I mean, whenever you can actually see the ink on the paper, that's huge. Normally, I'd be a youth-over-experienced guy there, but 
I don't see Arenado aging badly. I see him as a Troy Gloss or a Scott Rowland. These guys were good, if not better than good, up till their like 36, 37 season. And that's where Arenado's contract takes him out there. I was just looking up Scott Rowland right now. He made the All Star team at age 36, hit 285. It's like, I don't see any reason why Arenado can't do that. Um, I don't know how their contracts are linked up. I don't know how long Goldschmidt has left on his deal. Um, but they can also flip him on, flip him over to the other side of the diamond. And if there's any defender I trust to switch positions and be great at it, it's a shortstop turned third baseman to, uh, in Nolan Arenado, who is the, one of the best fielders of our generation. I would love to have him on a, any team. And I, you know, I think the Mets might have actually done that deal had that opportunity presented itself. Yeah. So uh, uh, Gold, Goldschmidt's got four years left. Oh, wow. Okay. He's he, he signed all the way through 25. So I, I don't know if you guys can tell, but I, I got an Arizona shirt on. I got this in 2017. <laughs> I, I mean, it was just such a likable team that year. And I've always liked Grinky and Robbie Ray. That was the best year of his career. And Goldie was still there. And, and that's why I bring this up is, you know, Goldie just hasn't quite been what he was um, in, in Arizona. I know his second half though of 2019 was, was better. He started to kind of, you know, come back around, but I hope he kind of returns to form because man, you got two giants on your corners, you know, offensively. And that's got to be really exciting for, uh, you know, uh, St. Louis. And I, I keep thinking, you know, St. Louis needs to go after pitching, like in in the worst way, but in the same breath, like I just said, no competition in that division. And, and there's only so many pitchers you can go after at this point. So, um, so yeah. hopefully, is they it crazy it that no one's mentioned Bauer for them? Yeah, they see they're a mid market I mean, team. Arenado though. a giant, right? Yeah, yeah. They, they just, just hey, I go ahead. I'm he sorry. He can work. I mean, he knows the division. Yeah, right? yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I I don't see why it, why it can't. And they they brought Wainwright back, who had a good 2020, albeit shortened. Um. But yeah, and I don't I I don't watch enough Cardinals baseball obviously to know how good of a manager Mike Schilt is, but he had one of the most epic clubhouse speeches of all time. It was F bomb riddled. <laughs> you can find it. I can show it to you guys later if you've never seen it. But it was during the playoffs. It was right after they won one of the Atlanta games. I don't know if it was I think it was the clincher, yeah. So they won the the divisional series and Mike Schilt was in there dropping F bombs and I he looks like a, a nerdy computer repair guy, you know, so I'm not expecting <laughs> I'm not expecting that type of, you know, vulgarity to come out of his mouth. And so I think, you know, from from the outside looking in, I, I think Arenado's probably gonna like playing for him. And uh, you know, so so hopefully it works. I know we've faced the Cardinals twice, but I've got no ill will towards them, you know, as long as they're not beating us right? at our expense, you know. And I picked them to win the division in 2019. I got five out of six correct, and I, I won a bet with one of my co-hosts. I took the Cardinals over the Cubs and won that one. And I also took the Twins over the Indians, and we made a bet on that. Uh, so, 
So, yeah, so I, I kind of don't mind the Cardinals that much. Uh, but anyway, so we're come basically right at an hour. So just kind of briefly, um, we know for sure now that the season will start. The literally only thing that can prevent it from starting is if local government, you know, municipalities restrict them from playing. If it's too dangerous because of COVID spikes, that's the only way. The season will not start on time, and the Players Association and the and MLB they briefly discussed another scenario where MLB proposed they would play 154 games starting on April 28th. The season would have went a week later than what it was initially scheduled, and then there would have been a lot of double headers. But um, the union nixed it, and. So it's not looking good for the labor thing because they still seem to hate each other. But, uh, Jason, what, what are your thoughts on the season starting on time and and uh, whatnot? So I'm, I'm glad it's going to start on time. Um, although I am worried kind of the point that you brought up with the local, the local governments maybe uh, shooting it down because I can tell you right now, I don't feel great about Massachusetts being open to – the Red Sox playing at Fenway Park. They just opened Fenway as a vaccination center. And I can totally see as we get closer to vaccinations coming out, I can totally see, you know, Baker being like, look, we're using this as a vaccination center. Uh, that's more important than your baseball. So we're not going to like they Massachusetts has been very ardent about no fans in the stadium, like not even a small percentage, like, you know, and our numbers have been kind of going up and down. They've been a little bit better at the start of 2021, but, you know, given that they just opened that as a, as a vaccine center, I do worry about that. I worry about other cities that have done the same thing. Um, so hopefully that doesn't come into play. Ultimately though, I'm glad it's starting on time. I'm glad that the players are actually the ones that are gung ho for that, that they're the ones that are saying, no, we don't want the shortened season. We don't want expanded playoffs or any of that crap again. Just give us a regular 162, give us the normal stuff again, because, you know, that that's what they want. Um, I still sense that the two sides are going to fight at some point. There's, there's going to be an argument because that they, they have the worst labor relations of any professional sports league in the world. So I still think the owners and the players will end up fighting at some point. But uh, for now, I'm optimistic. I'm happy. I, I want the season to start on time because last year just wasn't fun with the 60 games and the shortened season, um, even the expanded playoffs, they were okay, but they weren't really that fun because you saw a lot of squash jobs. So um, I'm happy for it. I just hope that nothing gets in the way. So only time will tell. We'll see. Andrew, go ahead. Yeah, I'm excited for baseball. It's been too long since we've seen a good product. And you guys know of anyone. I am, I am cautiously, if not super optimistic for the season. I think they're going to be fun. I really do. I think they're going to have a great clubhouse. Um, so whatever we can do to get spring trading started in these two weeks, let's do it. I don't care what they have to pull out. Um, obviously, based the the league going to the players right now, asking for them to delay was stupid and not going to happen. Like All these guys have rented houses. They're already moving all their stuff over. They're moving their families to these spots. Like 
it was never a question. Um, we're going to have baseball in two weeks, and it's going to be absolutely glorious. People are going to watch Truck Day, and <laughs> and we're going to get back in the swing of things. We're going to smell the oil of the uh, gloves getting um, greased up, get the crack of the bat. I, I, I'm so excited right now. Yeah, and I am too. You know, I, I kind of said on Twitter, you know, for me, the pandemic is over if baseball is back and we're on a normal routine. And, you know, obviously the vaccinations will continue. Uh, Jason, you do make up an interesting point about Fenway being used. And I'm not sure. I'm, I'm really, I don't know if they're going to be vaccinating people on the field, though. Like, uh, so I don't know that both can't necessarily. It's, yeah, it's weird. They sort of just announced it like last week and no one's really sure what the logistics are yet okay. in terms of like how many people are going to be allowed in at what time. Um, obviously, like most people, like I'm not due to get my vaccination till well, they say April. So I'm going to say probably it's going to be closer to like June. Um, but even people in Massachusetts are like, what? So why pick Fenway? Because of the great parking? Like it's it's a little bit it's a little bit weird. So I don't know. I, I'm not sure what the logistics are of that yet, but all I know is that they were really excited about a what they called a large space at Fenway being used for vaccinations. So Yeah. Well well, I see how it plays out, I guess. I know with New York, because Boston and New York have been really strict, you know, as far as the the you know, COVID restrictions and whatnot. And I know to some extent New York is relaxing some of theirs. You know, they're not like fully opening or anything, but some things are getting loosened up and I'm guessing could get even more loosened up by the time opening day starts. So maybe, you know, if there's a ripple effect, maybe Massachusetts will as well. Um, so we'll have to see that how that plays out. I I wouldn't be shocked if what what if they play the first month in Fort Myers? You know, is that possible? I, I you know, so the the luxury they have this time compared to you know last March, they've got time to to formulate a plan B. And last March it it all went down two weeks before opening day, and there was a lot of uncertainty about the virus at the that point and. Now, you know, we kind of know what the virus is and how to handle it and whatnot. Uh, so, I mean, they if they need to come up with a plan B, I, I think I think it can be done. And, and just last season, you know, we saw whole schedules getting revamped, you know, and, you know, with the Marlins and the Cardinals especially. Uh, so who both made the playoffs after all that drama too. So, you know, so. Have they announced this schedule for this season yet? I think so. Yeah, yeah. No, the only thing they've, uh, the only thing I saw was spring. Yeah, I saw spring training schedules, but I didn't see regular season. No, okay. So I wonder if we could see a long road trip. Uh, Hang on, no, MLB. I think we start off against the Orioles again, if I'm not mistaken. I think there is a schedule. Oh, Oh, okay. Let me see. This is good radio. Terry looking up. Yeah, because I saw the spring training schedule. So that, that one's fully detailed. But Yeah, yeah okay. and they announced 2,500 Th- fans at each game for that. Okay, yeah. Thursday, April 1st. Oh, this has every team playing on that day. So who are we playing? 
yeah, we're we're starting off against Baltimore again on April first. Huh. That's a Thursday. Yeah. I'm shocked that they would announce that. Yeah, okay. and who knows? I mean, they might you know have to alter things, but th- this schedule came out in like September or something, or maybe October. Of all years for them to open at home, I feel like they always open on the road, and this is finally the year that they open at home. It's like, come on! Yeah, (laughs) they always seem to open up like in Toronto or some stupid crap. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. You'd think they would try to get teams, you know, as south as possible in the first couple Mm -hmm. weeks if they can. But but yeah, so that that is the schedule idea you had, though. What's that? Send him down and just keep him in Fort Myers. I, I like that idea. For yeah, for a month. Because you know it's a major league ready. It's not like when you had the Blue Jays going to Buffalo where the lights weren't um up to par or whatever they had to be. I mean, it's a full functioning minor uh spring training stadium, so why not? Uh just keep the players down there, avoids travel for another week and a half. I I, I think that could work out pretty well. Yeah, and they're they're all in Florida going to be allowed to have fans to some capacity. So so there's a revenue opportunity as well for for teams to make a little bit of money. Yeah. So all right. Well, that that'll do it, I guess, for this episode. Um, I don't. I'm not going to have everybody record on Super Bowl Sunday, especially with Brady in the Super Bowl. So. Um, if anything does happen, then I'll just do, uh, you know, a quick bonus segment, um, similar. I think I did one a week or so ago. So, uh, we'll, uh, we'll just kind of play things by ear, but we are in the same month as spring training now. So about two weeks out, uh, for truck day, uh, and you know, for the listening audience, we'll, we'll see you as things develop. Take care.